Hi, everyone, and welcome to Oscar Wilde, a podcast about film, always counting down to next year's Oscars. I'm Sophia Simonello. And I'm Nick Rorkraut. And today we have a really fun episode. We are doing our very first mailbag. We got so many questions from fans. We will get to those. And if we don't answer your questions today, we do have them all in the question bank. So we can maybe answer them on a future Oscar Wilde mailbag episode. Okay, so for our first question, we'll be starting off pretty easy here. What is your favorite go-to movie snack? So I will always go with popcorn over candy. And I always get a Diet Coke. What about you? My mom is a really big popcorn proponent. Like can't go to a movie without Uh it and I'm just like not Uh that way because every time I would get popcorn growing up I would just like overeat (laughs) and then I would feel sick for half of the movie so I kind of steer clear of popcorn but I will definitely have Sour Patch with me if I'm going to have a snack at all okay and then a big treat is having a large Diet Coke also yeah (laughs) And if I go to like a fancy theater or if I went to like Nighthawk or something like that, I'll get like a drink drink. But that's a rare occasion. I mean, I also just have way too much fun with those Coke machines at I think most Mm -hmm. theaters now. And I'll like try vanilla, cherry. It's like kind of gross sometimes. So our next question that we have, if you could program your dream movie retrospective, what would you do? So I took a film class in college and the entire course was going through his filmography. It's Billy Wilder. (gasps) who has some complete gems yeah and learning about his life was really interesting as well and he has such a variety of films that i think it's a different kind of retrospective than other directors say that we might mention later on the pod but yeah i think that would be a fun one what would you have so i will say billy wilder will come up for me later Mm. so just teasing that a little bit but (laughs) i would try to pick someone who i feel like a lot of people don't know about but i feel like more people should know about and that would be the iconic British duo, Powell and Pressburger. Have you seen any of their movies before? I don't think so. So they made movies like The Red Shoes, Black Narcissus, The Life and Death of Colonel Blimp, I Know Where I'm Going. Really just beautiful, colorful, lush films that just tackle so many things that are really interesting to me. Mm -hmm. And again, I feel like a lot of people don't know a lot about them, but they're very influential on people like Martin Scorsese and Ari Aster, they've recognized them as these filmmaking gems who they look to. So I think I would pick the films of Powell and Pressburger. Okay. I went rogue on a lot of things, so yeah, just I wasn't get ready. expecting that. <laughs> Which is good because I feel like we, or at least I repeat a lot of the things that I like on here. So I feel like some of these questions could be answered by anyone listening to. So question number three: Who would direct the movie of your life? So I thought about this for a while and narrowed it down. And then I just thought, why did you even make this list in the first place? It has always been Sofia Coppola. (laughs) (laughs) I would just want like a beautiful people, beautiful problems movie. It's generalizing a lot of what she does, but I would want Mm -hmm. everything to just have that Sophia gloss over it and maybe for Bill Murray to make an appearance too. (laughs) As your dad, does that fit? (laughs) My dad's a little more introverted, I would say, than Bill Murray, but he could definitely (laughs) play my uncle. (laughs) So I'm sure there's a short answer and a long answer for both of us. And just to easily go with the short answer, I feel like Noah Baumbach would be a good pick for me. Oh, More of his earlier stuff, not necessarily Marriage Story, but maybe we should also ask who would direct each other movie which i think is too hard a question right now i can't do that on the spot that is really hard well we should do that later we'll come back to that maybe on a segment (laughs) okay so our next question who is your dream oscars date and the listener who asked this asked for a specific nominee and a specific year at the oscars so for me there's one clear answer in going through oscars history and certain years and what had happened there are some memorable moments but i think like just like one really bizarre moment was in 1974 this was the year or I think right before they were going to announce the sting as the winner, but there was a streaker on stage. Did you know this? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yes. Are you taking the streaker to the Oscars? (laughs) No. (laughs) 
But I was like, what a moment. Elizabeth Taylor is about to announce this award and it's like man runs across the stage. Anyway, my moment has to be the La La Land Moonlight debacle. Mm-hmm. I would be third wheel to Barry Jenkins and Lulu Wong. I love I that. I think they would be so fun just to be a fly on the wall next to and to talk with them. I feel like this is also a hard question because I almost wanted to pick someone who wasn't nominated because I think it could be very stressful for nominees, like especially ones yes. who are gunning for that prize. Uh-huh. Yeah, this question was hard because I tried I had to think that way. And I also thought the same thing that you did of, oh, maybe it would be better to bring someone who wasn't a nominee because they could drink more, they would have more fun the whole <laughs> night, they wouldn't be as stressed out. I have two options. I ended up picking two winners, so that kind of eliminates a lot of the stress. I picked, of course, for 2019, Brad Pitt for Mm -hmm. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I picked him, one, because he won, and he knew he was going to win, and it's Brad Pitt, obviously. But two, he would get to see Parasite win Best Picture. Mm-hmm. You get to see Jane Fonda. You get to see Bong Joon-ho win. And I feel like it just would have been so fun. And also you get to have one good final night out before COVID really kicked in. Yeah. An amazing ceremony overall. And my other choice was actually I would take, or he would take me either way, <laughs> um, Robert Redford for the 1980 Oscars when he won <laughs> Best Director for Ordinary People and Best Picture. Not only because it's Robert Redford and I love Ordinary People, but because he was up against David Lynch and Martin Scorsese, two of my favorite directors, and they were there. So... Okay. Get to meet them, maybe, which is also how I thought about this because I have to say, I looked back and some of the people I wanted to go with, I don't know what this says about me, but they didn't go to the Oscars. <laughs> <laughs> I watched the YouTube videos of their ceremonies and they weren't there. Yeah. I mean, the year that Barbara Streisand and Catherine Hepburn split the award, Catherine wasn't there. Okay, next question. If you could only watch one director's filmography for the rest of your life, who would it be? So, this is really hard because some of of the directors I wanted to pick would have been, I think, easy ones for people to guess. For example, Paul Thomas Anderson, but I didn't pick PTA because he doesn't have a lot of movies. Mm-hmm. And if I can only watch one director's filmography for the rest of my life, I want tons of movies to pick from. So I'm going to pick two. Scorsese is the first one. You have so many different types of movies in there that you can watch, mm-hmm. and they really just get at your emotions so you really have something for any type of feeling that you might be having or any type of entertainment experience that you could want and my other one funnily enough because you mentioned him earlier is my birthday twin billy wilder because he has so many movies that i think are just so much fun and that i really enjoy a lot you have sunset boulevard you have the apartment you have sabrina double indemnity so many great movies Mm -hmm. both great and both on my short list there's so many options this is so tough the issue here is that they don't really have a bunch of movies but again they're my favorites i have to go with stanley kubrick here yeah some of my all-time favorites most of his films are very high on my list and if this is all i'm watching i am totally happy replaying and watching them over and over so yeah i agree with you too he was on my short list i think the variety thing is really big here Mm -hmm. right you have horror movies sci-fi period dramas everything you could really want is right there so yeah i think this is a good pick too okay our next question we have what movie do you have a strong or positive association with but is objectively a flop i kind of have a lot for these me too (laughs) One that came to me very quickly, National Mm -hmm. Treasure. One of my favorites. (laughs) Maybe not a total flop, but... Yeah, I was going to say not. One that I really love every year, Love Actually, which a lot of people hate on. Maybe we mentioned Mamma Mia last week, which I think also fits here. And then one I haven't seen for a long time is Rat Race. Have you seen this? No. I think this could definitely be considered a flop. So much fun. Huge cast. I love it all. Kind of problematic, but a lot of fun. I've avoided this one. I don't really know why. I don't have an answer. Uh, it just like looked like it never interested me, so I've just never seen it. So just great moments. Some iconic lines. My last one that I have watched again recently, and I the whole time was like regretting watching, was The Greatest Showman. <laughs> Like a big flop, but also <laughs> so mesmerizing. Sorry, I'm just thinking about when we had Ryan on for the Disney episode, and you're just like, the movie's trash, but the soundtrack's great. <laughs> <laughs> 
And that still stands. I feel the same exact way still. Yeah. And I know we've talked about this podcast before, but our friends Connor and Dylan recently on their podcast, the drama podcast, had Kayla Settle on, mm-hmm. who plays the bearded lady in The Greatest Showman. Yes. Not one of the bad parts of that movie, I will say. Yeah. <laughs> So I took this question quite literally and actually chose a full flop. Just to intro the movie that I chose, it got a 15% on Rotten Tomatoes, 33% on Metacritic. Budget was $10 million, made $10.1 million. Not a huge flop. It broke even. Not really. Barely. Maybe. Almost. (laughs) That movie is 2004's Sleepover. God. Is that like Victorious or the Disney Nickelodeon? No. What? It's iconic. So this came out when I was 11, and it has Alexa Vega in it, Brie Larson, Steve Carell is in it, Jane Lynch, Evan Peters. Like, it is Whoa. just, it is so bad. But there are times when I will just have a bad day or something like that and just will get the urge to put it on. And the lines in it are so funny and so bad that you just, you can't help but laugh through the entire thing. Oh it's God. on Netflix right now. <laughs> I'm not saying it's a good movie, but... Again, positive associations, something that I used to really love. (laughs) Okay. Well, I can't promise that I'll watch it, but maybe I'll look into it. You'd be better off watching Twilight before watching Sleepover. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) That's what I thought you were going to say here. Well, but I don't consider Twilight to be a flop. Twilight's a success. In whose mind? The rest of the world besides you. The box office, I guess? Yes. Next up, if you had to work with three of our favorites, Stanley Kubrick... Quentin Tarantino or David Fincher and they were on their absolute worst behavior which would you choose this is such a good question (laughs) I would choose Kubrick because I think that if you look at the three of them and you assess like their genius level actually I'm like making myself sick saying that but Kubrick is definitely at the top of the group I also just like I would want to be on that set like I would Mm want to see what was going on and what he was doing and I think too his worst behavior was probably The Shining with Shelley Duvall Mm -hmm. and that I think would be very hard to watch but at the same time I would love being on a Kubrick set what would you say I would too I actually read up about how Jack Nicholson would like brush his teeth between takes and then he would like go back to holding the axe and like chopping at the door I was like, oh my God, bizarre. So out of these three, I immediately nixed Quentin because I feel like enraged, he would, you know, start swearing left and right and I would be so intimidated. I couldn't, like if I was an actor, I'm not sure I could like keep up or like give my best. I would be terrified. Quentin, I feel like of the three is the most manic. I wouldn't, yeah, I think not being able to keep up is really the thing with him where I feel like Fincher and Kubrick are more controlled and Mm -hmm. anal and he's just like, he knows what he wants. I think it would be fun because he is such a fan of the movie going experience and I think being with him on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood would be really fun. But yeah, it it is a certain type of energy I think that would be really hard. Yeah, just very knowledgeable as I'm sure all three of these are. But I would definitely go with David Fincher. I think dealing with 100 take shots, I maybe could handle that a little bit better than somebody who would like very intentionally wear away at your being. Mm -hmm. I've heard not great things about Fincher on set either, but he doesn't seem as angry of a person, at least just outright. So I could be completely off. It's not like I've been on any of their sets before. So any of them would be a fun time, but also a frightening time, I think. (laughs) Okay, so our next question, if Lady Gaga was in Best Supporting Actress, would she have won for A Star is Born? Who do you think Gaga would have replaced out of all the nominees? So I think Gaga would have replaced Marina de Tavira for Roma. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure just the broad support that that had within the actors branch. I mean, I guess I could see Emma or Rachel, one of them getting knocked out for the favorite. I think Marina was the dark horse by far. Nobody really mm-hmm. had expected both her or Yalitza to be included in the nominees. So definitely I think she was the fifth spot. So if Gaga had taken her spot, it was like you said, Emma and Rachel as well. And then also Amy Adams for Vice. 
along with Regina, who won. I think it could have been more of a race between the two, between Regina and mm-hmm. Gaga. I don't know if she would have won, though. I don't think she would have won. I think part of me says it doesn't really matter which acting category she would have been in. Mm-hmm. Because she got the original song Oscar and to the Academy, that was her Oscar. I think she, in their eyes, was never going to win both. I do think that if Gaga would have been in supporting, that Glenn Close would have won Best Actress because of the vote split in my mind between Gaga and Glenn. Mm -hmm. I will say also, though, I think Regina King has really had just a wonderful career and is really respected and had such a great performance in If Beale Street Could Talk that her win felt necessary and important and I don't think they would take that away from her. Yeah, I agree with that. So our next question, what would you do to make the Oscars more entertaining? All right. (laughs) I know what I want from them. Show us the votes. I want to see how people voted in every category. Can you imagine? You mean like night of, drum roll, show the votes being tabulated? I would like to see, I think especially in Best Picture, I don't think maybe you need to do it for acting and everything else, Mm -hmm. but I think it would be incredible if we got to know how people voted, especially with the preferential ballot, because we've thought for years, okay, you know, you can't be a polarizing film because, you know, that's what happened with La La Land. But what if Moonlight really did have that much support and we were wrong all along? That's what I want to know. I think show us the votes. I think too, and if we think of a year like 2017, The Shape of Water won. I want to know, was Three Billboards the next one? Was Get Out the next one? Was The Post really the one that was out first? I just want to know those types of nitty gritty things. I think there would also be some very interesting ripple effects from that, from like production companies, like taking notes. And if their films were low, being like, okay, now what can we do to fix this or to change this and if they had multiple films like trying to understand why things were placed Mm -hmm. the way they are so Mm -hmm. there are a lot of conclusions to be made by this but also yes it would be fun I want to know what was runner-up how close they were but I'm not sure that we're ever going to which kind of sucks no I know (laughs) one can dream (laughs) what would you do this may not be the most PC thing to say but I did really like when Ellen hosted and they showed these little intermissions of the pizza Mm -hmm. arriving it was just so unexpected she obviously had like the big selfie that year Mm -hmm. I think just shaking things up where it's like not presentation award award random music guest award award you know funny comedian (laughs) it's like very typical I do like those moments I love a good musical moment that makes sense but I think humanizing the nominees and everybody present was fun to see especially that year I think certain gimmicks done by hosts can work and some can really flop like I just I hated 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 the one where Jimmy Kimmel went to that movie theater and no one knew what was happening oh my god I hate that so much I thought it was awful it was just such a waste of time so I would like interactions I guess with the nominees and with the crowds like I'm not watching the Oscars to see regular people I'm watching it to see celebrities yeah and yeah so I agree with you about that kind of interaction but certain type of host gimmicks I cannot do well that was also just so bizarre because they were trying to focus on these people but they literally had no idea what was going on and right. then they were awestruck by seeing these celebrities and the celebrities didn't know what was going on and they're kind of like stay away and uh, that was very uncomfortable so cringy oh my god <laughs> so our next question is really fun pick two actors with the same first name in different roles that you would like to see switch roles? I have a lot of cracked answers for this, but it was just like... So do I. Honestly, this could be like very serious and just not at all. Should we make this a game and like say the movies and guess who the people are? I think that would be <laughs> That would be kind of funny. <laughs> okay, okay. First one. This is, I think, a better one. One of my more serious <laughs> ones. Not the movie titles, but Miss Congeniality 2 switching with Girls Trip. I don't know. I've never seen Miss Congeniality 2. Okay, I'll give you another one the cinderella story is jennifer coolidge in that (laughs) no no different person regina king and regina hall yes yes you got it okay that's good (laughs) i like that okay so this one is just kind of an easy one for me so the movies are moneyball and a star is born this is named bradley this is i get it brad pitt and brad cooper you call him bradley cooper 
Does he go by? No, but they're. It's like the same name. Please, that counts. I have another one that's that's even worse. No, it's not. Brad is a nickname for Bradley. Okay, if you ever meet, it's the same name. Bradley Cooper. Call him Brad and see what happens. I will. Let you know how it goes. Okay, another one, Million Dollar Baby and the Lizzie McGuire movie. (laughs) (laughs) Hillary Duff as a boxer. Oh my God, I love that. That's so great. Could she do it? I don't know. Okay, my next one, I actually really like, and it's again, a little bit of, it's not cheating, but you're going to say it is based on my last one. (laughs) Mary Poppins returns in The Favorite. Emma Stone and Emily Blunt? Yeah. Emma Stone's name's Emily. Okay. Yeah. That's fine. I feel like Emily Blunt is so good when she's like wicked, like she is in The Devil Wears Prada. Mm -hmm. And we know that Emma Stone can sing, so she would be fine in that. Yeah, I would like that. I would like to see a darker side to Emily Blunt. It's kind of like I wanted to switch Regina King with, I forget, it was a different Regina, but she's almost like too polished. Like she gives us that darker performance in Watchmen, but it's almost like like still elegant looking Mm -hmm. and I just want like down and dirty just kind of like Charlize and Mad Max so speaking of Mad Max Fury Road that is that and Avatar you're picking movies where I literally don't remember anyone (laughs) this is kind of a deeper cut too (laughs) I had to look up who was in Avatar Okay, Zoe Kravitz and Zoe Saldana. Yeah. Wow, that's creative. That would totally work. Okay, the next one I have is a cracked one. Okay. 13 going on 30 and Hustlers. (laughs) So Jennifer Garner and Jennifer Lopez. Yep. (laughs) Just imagine how funny Jennifer Lopez would be in 13 going on 30. Jennifer Garner... She can lean into, I think, a role that really, like, takes a lot out of her. Mm -hmm. Okay, another similarly cracked one. It's fun (laughs) to imagine them in the other roles. Okay. So we have Along Came Polly and the better choice is Mother, but also American Hustle. Oh, Jennifer Aniston and Jennifer Lawrence. Imagining Jen in American Hustle. Is great. Yeah. And then throwing the crazy J-Law into Along Came Polly. I feel like she would totally be fine in that. Yeah. And imagine also Jennifer Aniston. I feel like we know her just with the same hair that she's mm-hmm. had for years. Yeah. So imagine her with crazy 70s hair. Like if they gave her like Farrah Fawcett hair or something, that would be really fun. This one is basically, I think, this is a time bender. So it like the ages don't really mm-hmm. work. And you're also going to say it doesn't count, but in my brain it does. <laughs> Beautiful boy and ordinary people. I don't know 70s movies that well. Kind of like the other way around now. Is it Steve or is it Timmy? Timothy Chalamet, I think he needs a role like the Timothy Hutton part in Ordinary People. Okay. Timothy Hutton won his Oscar for Ordinary People. And I think like Timothy Chalamet, he's had roles where he's had to get emotional and have this kind of stripped down quality to him. But Beautiful Boy just wasn't well written and mm-hmm. it wasn't a great movie. Yeah. But if he had a, a movie like Ordinary People, I think he could do it. Okay. So my last one here is a three-way tie. Oh God. It doesn't work all three ways. But if you pair them up separately, it does. I'll give you all of them. This should be easier. (laughs) Oh, God. But Castaway, Spider-Man, and Inception. Okay. And they all have the same first and last initial. I think I figured it out. So we have Tom Hanks, Tom Holland, Tom Hardy. Mm -hmm. I want Tom Hardy Castaway. Yes. Tom Holland Inception. That would work. So the other option that I think is better to switch Hardy and Holland would be Hardy and Marie Antoinette. So putting Tom Holland there and then switching with Spider-Man. That works. Imagine if Tom Hanks was (laughs) Spider-Man. Like Spider-Man as a dad, like years later. I was also imagining a younger Tom Hanks, like from Bigger Splash. So yes, also kind of a time turner. It would be fun to do an episode on that. Like if we actually picked good ones. Yeah, and then we make an entire movie out of it. It would be really fun. Next up, if you could live in one house from a movie, which one would you pick? This one was a no-brainer, really easy one for me. And that's the house in Call Me By Your Name. The Italian Villa? Yeah. We've actually talked about a few on the pod recently that I kind of love. And Mm -hmm. I mean, that Home Alone house we talked about, how 
expensive it was. Another one that I had was um, both. So Nancy Meyers houses are great. Any of her movies, the kitchens, the homes, how they're decorated. And I would take either mm-hmm. home in The Parent Trap, both Elizabeth James's home in London and the Napa Nick Parker yes. winery. I would love that. I agree with that. There are honestly so many. I kind of want to steer away from any of the horror film houses that we've mm-hmm. also mentioned. I think the LA Holiday House yeah. would be beautiful. That's a good I one. I really need those blackout blinds. Mm-hmm. Would you live in the Stars Born House? Mm, no. <laughs> I feel like there's just bad memories. <laughs> the house is also very LA. The uh, Wolf of Wall Street mansion. <laughs> Too gaudy for me. Oh my God. <laughs> you know what apartment I do really love though? That's from a horror movie, Rosemary's Baby. I love that apartment. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, speaking of New York apartments, I would also love Rebel Wilson's apartment from How to Be Single. Oh my God. You love How to Be Single. (laughs) But that is a good good apartment. Is that my flop that I like? Yeah, I think so. (laughs) And then also Apartment Succession, the one he gives Greg. That's a good one too. I also would pick Miranda Priestly's townhouse when she brings the book. Okay, so our next question is a little more in depth, and that is pick three directors who had their feature film debut in three different decades who best describe your taste in film. So the big picture did this as a director's game. I know you've wanted to do this, and this was a good introduction, I think, into undertaking you know like every decade and picking our favorite director so mm-hmm. i mentioned this earlier obviously had to show up stanley kubrick had his debut in the 50s mm-hmm. so he's one for me okay so my list they're not necessarily the best director from each decade but they're i think as a trio the ones that describe my taste and my like journey mm-hmm. through film and so the first one i have is from the 30s and that's george Cukor. he made <laughs> You're like, who are these people that you keep bringing up? I know this name, but yeah, obscure pick. Well, so the reason why I picked him, I'll get to, I think, some of my explanation a little bit later with one of the other questions, but he made films like A Star is Born, the Judy Garland version, Philadelphia Story, Gaslight, The Women, which is just amazing. It's on the Criterion channel right now. And I just really like him because he had this reputation where he put women at ease. He was called a woman's director. His films are just fun. They're sophisticated. They have this like caustic dialogue to them. And Mm -hmm. he loved the same Hollywood icons that I did. He loved Catherine Hepburn and Joan Crawford and Greta Garbo. And I think it's just Norma Shearer, like all these women that are just incredible. And he was was kind of a party boy and I would love to do an episode on him at some point like a retrospective because there's so much tea around him specifically because he was going to direct Gone with the Wind and got fired and that story is bananas so I would love to discuss at another time okay okay I'm down the next one for me would be Hayao Miyazaki from the 70s nice in terms of my taste I wanted to highlight different things that I like Mm -hmm. and Kubrick is more of a darker sense, analytical in a way. I guess all of them can be, but Miyazaki is just a lighter side. Also has like political themes to his animation and ideas, mm-hmm. but beautiful, stunning. I can't wait. Like if I ever have children, they will be watching his movies before they'll watch any Disney movies. <laughs> <laughs> so my next pick from the 60s, and I have to specify, so he started working on his first feature in the 50s, but it didn't get released until the 60s, just in case we have any listeners out there who are ready to dispute this and that is Eric Romare. I love the French New Wave but his films are just so stylish, so French very beautiful, very philosophical he has this signature visual style and I love all of his films. They're just so summery too. Like, I'm not sure I've seen any of his. Really? I know he's a huge oh. French director and I because you were going to do one of his for mm-hmm. the Letterbox pod. Yeah so I would look into and I have the Six Moral Tales that collection those are some Mm -hmm. of my favorites there's some really good ones in there i'm trying to think of what you will like i'll i'll think about it and we'll give you a recommendation (laughs) also if we have any (laughs) listeners who like romare just think of some for nick that he would like (laughs) so my third one for now would be denis villeneuve from the 90s okay had his debut had such an iconic decade of movies 
in the 2010s. And I absolutely love every one of his films. I think ever since On Sundee and again, his whole decade of movies that he had is just unparalleled. I think maybe by any other director who had such success back to back and can't wait to see what he's going to do with Dune. And I think with these three, I guess I can't say there's no disappointment, but definitely across the board, I'm 99% going to like very much enjoy anything that they put out. I think my list makes sense too for me because, and I'll reveal my third one in a minute, but they have some highs and some lows. I really like the variety (laughs) that... Mm-hmm. directors can have when they swing and miss too but my third pick is from the 70s and that is david lynch so i think the other two directors oh don't capture my interest in weird bizarre movies and david lynch does that i like things that are very dreamlike disturbing bizarre emotional dark humor in it and david lynch does all of that he's definitely not for everyone but i think he really rounds out my trio of directors that i think describe my taste that might be a little off the beaten path from what people think I would pick. That is correct. David Lynch will never be on any top list of mine. I saw Mulholland Drive in the fall and the DP was had done a Q&A afterwards, which was really cool. Yeah. But again, just like not my speed. That's way too out there. I love out there. So there we go. I can I can deal with that. But there's has to be like some semblance of meaning in there. And there's to so me was... much meaning in like blue velvet. <laughs> oh, my God. We'll save this for another time. <sighs> Okay, yeah. Laura Dern would cut her head off. Well, I do want to see Wild at Heart. Yeah, Wild at Heart. I haven't seen that before, but Well, I can't I can't really say whether you'll like it or not. But yeah, we would definitely love to do this, I think, on an episode in the future. There'll be, I'm sure, very long where we'll go into mm-hmm. these picks and maybe some different ones in more depth. Who are a few of your favorite best supporting actor or actress winners? And it can't be a case of category fraud. Okay. So I have quite a few. And again, I wanted to kind of go for ones that maybe people wouldn't think of or that I just really do love. So... I have three women and two men. So my best supporting actress winners are Cloris Leachman in The Last Picture Show, which is from the 70s. It's a Peter Bogdanovich movie. She's incredible in it. Olympia Dukakis in Moonstruck. Have you seen Moonstruck? You've seen Moonstruck. No, I haven't. You haven't? Oh my God. Okay. No. She's, she's amazing. And I really love her. That's why we'll have to do an 87 pod. We need, we do need to do that because I think you would really like Moonstruck. It's very good. Okay. But she's the mom in it and she's just delightful. And then Ruth Gordon and Rosemary's Baby, which is no surprise. And then my two men. So this one is like an easy one that I think everyone knows, but Mahershala Ali and Moonlight, I think mm-hmm. just an iconic performance of the 2010s and then my other ones I mentioned all the president's men earlier I love Jason Robards in it as Ben Bradley I think he's amazing he has the triple crown of acting of course Emmy Tony Oscars Um, he won two back-to-back Oscars for this and for Julia and there are some really fun stories of him from the set about how he would come in on his days off because he wanted Redford and Hoffman to feel like the boss was there and he'd just go sit at his desk I think he's great in the role what about you so ruth gordon also made my list yeah i think one of the best and then from i kind of looked at categories as a whole and then like if i was really impressed with who won versus who was nominated so from there i was really happy i remember seeing christopher Plummer win for beginners mm-hmm. he was on my short list too and then jk simmons winning for whiplash mm-hmm. that was like such an iconic movie and it won so many awards i was really happy and then also joe pesci winning for goodfellas all great ones okay so our next question of all the best picture winners of the 90s beginning with dances with wolves and ending with american beauty which one is your favorite of all 10 so i've seen all of them except for the english patient i think i could rank my top four or five It's also been a while since I've seen a couple of these. I think we mentioned on the pod that like, at least I'm not the best with the 90s. Since I haven't seen some of these for a while, it's kind of hard. Like for Schindler's List, which won in 1993. Obviously, it's an incredible movie. It's really well known, but I don't really remember how I felt about it. And if I would rank that higher than, say, Silence of the Lambs. So Schindler's List is... um. 
I find it hard to forget. <laughs> and that doesn't necessarily mean it's, I don't know, it's just, it's a movie I will only watch once. I think we did a unit in eighth grade on the Holocaust in school, and that's mm-hmm. when I watched it. And I just remember, like, just being very overwhelmed by how sad it was and how <laughs> long it, it was. And just, mm-hmm. it was just a gut punch. And I was just like, I will never watch this again for the rest of my life. I mean, it's very heavy. Yeah. And that's what it is. So I think just for for time's sake, I think I could debate this for a while. I'll Mm -hmm. put Silence of the Lambs first and then probably Schindler's List followed by... I'm not a huge fan of Titanic. I just think it's kind of overrated. But I definitely think I would rank American Beauty higher than you would. American Beauty would be like my number 10. Nine or 10. So Silence of the Lambs would be my number one. Titanic would probably be (laughs) in my top three. And I would also probably pick Unforgiven, the Clint Eastwood movie, which you just did that and you picked American Beauty. I didn't say I picked it, but I said it would be higher. I I can't. Remember completely like loathing watching Unforgiven. Okay, well, that's fine. There are some Westerns that I really like, but... (laughs) I mean, I can imagine you not liking it, so it makes sense. That's okay. We're just getting a lot of variety today. Lots of different directors, different movies. Okay, when did you realize that you were more into film than the people around you? So I think I've had just different realizations of this throughout my life. The thing that I'm starting to realize now is that what I love so much about film is that it's always just this act of discovery for me. There's nothing better than, you know, finding a film I've never seen before or looking into a director whose filmography I haven't touched at all. I love that. And I think that's still something that I've realized that other people don't see or it's a connection that other people don't have with film. So I think it started, though, when I was really little, I because I think of my my grandma and my parents specifically have always been really into film. My dad was very into the Oscars specifically, and he's very into Oscar trivia. And he would play a game with my sister and I when we were very little where he would like ask us who was the best actress winner from 1976 and we would have to guess it right and if we got it right we would get a treat (laughs) so it was just stuff like that we would always you know do when we were younger that you know that was just always a part of my life and something that I really loved and found value in early on and watching TCM growing up and having obsessions with random actresses that's something I still have but you know how many 10 year olds do you know that love Greer Garson not many like I (laughs) that was me though Mm, no (laughs) so I think that was definitely an early tell and then I have a really funny story that I do have to share when I was in sixth grade I remember the day after the Oscars where Crash won best picture I remember I was talking to a friend who didn't care at all about the Oscars and I had brought in from the newspaper my ballot and what I'd gotten wrong and I remember I'd picked Brokeback Mountain for picture and I remember just being like, I can't believe Crash won. And my teacher at the time scolded me and was just like, of course Crash would win. Why wouldn't Crash win? And it has stayed in my head for so long. And I just remember in that moment being like, no, you're wrong. <laughs> and for my whole life ever since, I've just been like telling people that they're right or wrong about the Oscars. <laughs> I didn't really get into the Oscars fully until like the mid 2000s maybe I vividly remember seeing Slumdog Millionaire and being like that is going to win best picture Mm -hmm. and it did (laughs) and I think ever since then I had like tried to see every best picture nominee Mm -hmm. but for film in general my parents have a picture of me somewhere like surrounded by VHS tapes (laughs) as like I'm a baby and I'm just like (laughs) sitting in this pile of movies but they would always tell me that I could put in a VHS tape before I could actually speak any words that is really cute (laughs) (laughs) so I think that was definitely a first sign Mm -hmm. but then also just completely silly nerdy middle school me apparently (laughs) I went to the library and printed the entire Finding Nemo screenplay and like put it in a binder and took it home (laughs) just like what was I thinking why that movie of all movies (laughs) I love that you printed it out and put it in a binder. (laughs) I like three hole punched all the sheets and like put it in and reread lines from it. That is so funny. (laughs) Oh my God. I'm not surprised. Our next question that we have, take the supporting actress nominees from our favorite Oscars and have them swap roles in different movies in the same category. For example, 
Leslie Manville, and Lady Bird. Okay, so now I'm going to cheat a little here. I kind of go a little cross-category. Okay. But I think it's still, like, super funny. Okay. (laughs) Did you just do the 2017 Oscars? No. So, I mean, we could start there and say that I would absolutely love to see Laurie Metcalf, honestly, in any of these roles. Yeah. Especially for Allison Janney and I, Tanya, But really, she could do anything she wanted. Mm-hmm. So the first one that I have is crazy. <laughs> Allison Janney in The Shape of Water and Octavia Spencer in I, Tanya. <laughs> Octavia would totally be like a ma figure to... Margot. That's where I got the inspiration. I think it would make a lot of sense (laughs) if that character was Tanya Harding's mom. I would actually love to see that. So the one that I would switch was, stay with me here. Okay. Abigail Breslin from Little Miss Sunshine. (laughs) Okay. Switching with Convincing Wallace from Beast of a Southern Wild. Two children. This one's fully cheating because one person wasn't even nominated. I just wanted to tell you because it would be funny. And that is Lady Gaga and J-Lo switching A Star is Born and Hustlers. Ooh, wait. I would love that, though. I think Lady Gaga and Hustlers would be really good. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking of, which... Yeah. J-Lo and A Star is Born. I mean, I think J-Lo's a good actress, but I think it would become a different movie. Very, very different. There's... She has more power to her than the Allie character does, which I think is why it helps to have a new actress in the part. Yeah. We would need, like, 2000s Mm J-Lo. This one's a little better than my last one, but it's still, like, crossing years. Mm Mm-hmm. It would be Abigail Breslin in Little Miss Sunshine Mm -hmm. again, yes, for (laughs) Sorsha Ronan in Atonement the following year. Oh, hmm. I don't know if Abigail Breslin is British seeming (laughs) enough, but Sorsha in Little Miss Sunshine is really funny. Yeah. On the other hand, I think there could be some really good ones. Mm -hmm. I mean, pretty easy to just like swap anybody. Yeah. From 2007, Tilda Swinton and Michael Clayton Mm -hmm. switching with Kate Blanchett from I'm Not There. I feel like Tilda could pull off a Bob Dylan Mm -hmm. and then Kate giving this like mean performance Ooh, tilda in a bob dylan role is good yeah that could really I mean, work she can do anything yeah but... she can do you want to hear the worst one i have that like i just thought of because it was really funny <laughs> which one what if you switched kathy bates and richard jewel for <laughs> leslie manville and phantom threat <laughs> similarly horrid well in a different sense but octavia spencer and the help with melissa mccarthy and bridesmaids <laughs> I would actually love Octavia and Bridesmaids. That's a remake we need. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She honestly in anything. I'm glad she's coming back. She's in it a lot. Me too. Interesting question. Who is going to direct the movie about Trump slash the era we're in right now? Pick one actor to cast as any White House character. Ooh, okay, this is really hard. So I'm thinking I really don't want the Trump movie like, anytime soon. I just, I don't want it. I really, really, really don't. <laughs> I would love to have some years away from it. But what I'm thinking I want from the movie, I don't want it to be a procedural. I don't want a courtroom drama. I want it to focus more on the people like on the outskirts. So I don't want to see Trump himself in the movie at all. I want it to be more like mm-hmm. All the President's Men or Zodiac. I think it would be fun to cover the media of it all instead. I think the Coen brothers would be good because I think I would want some satire to it. I don't think I would necessarily want it to be about Washington. I would want it to be about a different part of the country. And I think the Mm Coen brothers would do that really well and it would be a good movie. As far as playing someone in the movie, I don't know who I want per se, but I have an idea of what I think will happen. And I can totally see Margot Robbie getting ugly and playing Kellyanne Conway. (laughs) I was just trying to think of like, as you were saying what kind of movie you wanted, I was like, yes, a movie with like Kellyanne Conway. And I was like immediately imagined like Holly Hunter playing her, but mm-hmm. then maybe Frances McDormand because she's always in a Cohen picture. I feel like Frances, I would want Frances to play someone outside of the administration. Like she's the person who works at like the St. Louis Observer or like whatever paper they're dealing with in whatever this movie is, not being like in the thick of it. But yeah. I just, I think that some director, I mean, they're just, people are going to be licking their chops over this thing. Like, Ooh, look at Margot Robbie, mm-hmm. Kellyanne Conway. 
Conway transformation. When this movie comes out, I feel it's just going to be so many people with transformations. Think of who would play Rudy Giuliani. I can't even imagine. Ooh, look at Paul Giamatti. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we already had like a bunch of Roger Ailes movies come out. We had Bombshell, obviously Margot Robbie and like the huge transformation of Charlize Theron, Mm -hmm. which was a big deal. Not necessarily an amazing movie, but I think this whole like memorializing this time has already started in a way Mm -hmm. and going to Trump we've already had the Comey rule which is I think it's a limited series but it's on Showtime and it's with Brendan Gleeson who plays Trump himself and then Jeff Daniels as Comey Mm -hmm. and like a bunch of other actors but do you know who directed the two-part series no I do not you're gonna tell me do you have a guess I mean no because I I feel like if it was someone I really liked I would know about it this is not somebody you like Did they direct a movie that I let? Is it a writer turned director? Yes. And they wrote something you've mentioned on the pod today. I've mentioned Hustlers, but it's not Hustlers. Not Eric Roth. I feel like I would have heard about that too. Mm -mm. Who is it? Oh no. He wrote Richard Jewell. No. (laughs) Why does this come up all the time? Even when we try not to. I know. I watched the trailer for the movie that will be mentioned in the next question. And our favorite, Paul Walter Hauser, is in that movie. Oh my God. And I was like, we cannot escape... (laughs) We cannot escape Richard Jewell. Okay, so long story short, (laughs) this has started. I don't really want to think too hard about casting decisions, but I do think I have a few good directors. This is more in like the serious procedural realm than like totally farcical. I think Clint Eastwood would be very quick to take this on. Yeah, and he'll make it in like two weeks. (laughs) One take wonder. Todd Phillips. Oh my God. (laughs) So you're doing who's going to do it, not who you would want to do it. Right. Okay. Right. This is more like realistic than like, I want this satire Mm -hmm. based on it. My other one who I think would also be like really good at it would be Steven Soderbergh. I would like the Soderbergh version. I've thought of that. Mm -hmm. The version I really don't want is Adam McKay. I do not want that. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. No, thank you. One great casting decision I think that could happen. This is just me. I would love to see Daniel Day-Lewis as Robert Mueller. I think he could totally do it. (laughs) Okay. I don't think he would. I don't want Aaron Sorkin to write it. Now I'm just thinking of all these things. I don't want this movie to be. What about Chloe Zhao? Yeah, in my search of female directors, I was like, I think that's like what I would want though is like similar to Nomadland and kind of like how I said the Coen brothers could do. I think her version would be a more humorless version than what the Coens would do, but I think she could Mm -hmm. focus on like a group of people who are really affected by Trump. And that's, I think, what I would want the movie about the era to be. Similar to Nomadland, but something like that. And I feel like she could do that really well. That's true. And in a way, she kind of has with Nomadland Mm -hmm. on focusing on these groups who are affected, but not like directly in Washington, D.C. or, you Mm -hmm. know, like in the thick of it. I think there are also like different layers of films that could be made from this. So I think we'll be seeing this for quite a while. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't think there's like one film that's mm-hmm. going to happen. I wish Sidney Lumet was still around to make it because I think his version would be this gold standard. Yeah. And in a way, Network, I mean, he kind of did that. So, mm-hmm. okay. So our next question we have a voice memo that we'll play. Hi, Nick and Sophia. My name is Matt, longtime listener, first time caller. I'm curious how the Oscars will memorialize COVID-19. I recently saw the trailer for the Songbird the new movie based on COVID starring KJ Appa, it looks so bad. And so I'm wondering, were there any movies that won Oscars or were contenders based on the 1917 pandemic? Or are we just going to memory hole this whole thing in terms of film? Thanks. So I did some research and it really didn't seem like there were any one movies that were even nominated at the Oscars that were based on the pandemic or just like films in general that were not documentaries that either focused on the repercussions of the flu or I guess were like more narrative films about this time, Mm -hmm. which is kind of crazy and sad. It was indirectly a time when World War II was ending. And so there were a lot of deaths, one from the flu, but also lives had just totally changed from the war. And I think the movie industry in general, in terms of like the theater business and using movies as a distraction from the war for the families back home. And kind of like what we're seeing now, the flu pandemic had affected production 
and had like stalled productions as they have now. But surprisingly, like no even minor plots related to the pandemic. Yeah, I read this really interesting article that I can link on our Twitter about silent film and the pandemic of 1918. And basically it was through BFI, but there's hardly any record on film about the pandemic at all. Um, There's a lot of like media suppression, like people wanted to very similar to today and what's going on with the Trump administration. They claimed that they didn't want people to panic about the virus. So it wasn't covered in the media as heavily as it should have been. And Mm -hmm. I think that that's, you know, really sad in a way that, you know, history of course repeats itself and you can look back at that. But I think what's interesting too is that plagues have been covered and pandemics have been covered in film, but typically about the Black Death or about fictional pandemics based on real pandemics like in Contagion, for example, that a lot of us watched back in March when all this was going on. But as far as 1918, that flu goes, not a lot of record in film about it. I wish that we could say the same maybe about the COVID movies, but we're going to have a lot of them, I think. And I'm not looking forward to it. I don't I don't need to go see a movie about this. The takes that are going to come in these movies are just going to be pain to watch and there are going to be so many and I'm like I just don't need any of it right now and I just can't envision myself even 20 years from now like wanting to go back and watch a movie about this time I think it depends how it's done like you said I am laughing now because I'm imagining like remember me and there being some like twist ending to a movie where it's like somebody dies and it's because of covid and then like that's the twist yeah or using a covid death is like the emotional climax for a movie yes and I think that's it's kind of tough to interpret right now. But going back a little bit, Woodrow Wilson at the time never directly talked about the pandemic going on because he didn't want to instill fear in the people. Mm-hmm. And at first, that's what happened with Trump. He downplayed everything that was happening just so people would feel better. And that just like wasn't the reality of what was happening. So I think, yes, history repeats itself and not for the better. One topic or you know specific thing in this time that we're dealing with now that I think would be interesting and horrifying. Have you heard about these people in South Dakota who up until they die, they say COVID isn't real? No, but I'll send you articles, but it's, it's so freaky. (laughs) And it's, it's very dystopian. And I think something about that about like groupthink and you know, people not believing in something and then it just wiping people out. That's something that I can see being well done and like a different spin or slice of the moment that could be interesting to cover. Mm -hmm. I mean, that makes me think of 1984. And like how similar that is, I feel like to the past few years, Mm -hmm. I think that would be really cool. Another thing that I think we're gonna get that I don't know if we're ready for is the COVID (laughs) rom-com people dating over zoom or like high school kids that can't go to their prom the awkward like park dates or yeah zoom dates (laughs) yeah you know they're coming I do yeah I really don't want those no thanks (laughs) (laughs) I mean it is crazy that we're getting this movie so soon and it's been like eight months since things just started so to think that this movie has been filmed during COVID Mm -hmm. just bizarre but also it's called COVID-23. An alternative history by Tarantino would be fun. Ooh, he could come out of retirement for that. That'd be another great one. All right. So I think we've gone through quite a few questions for our first mailbag. Keep sending us questions. We can always just put them in this question bank that we have and we can cover them on a future mailbag. This was so much fun. Thank you for sending in your questions. Yeah, we still have so many that we didn't even use. So I'm sorry. Don't be offended. There's a lot more research than I expected went into these and I loved doing it. And next time on Oscar Wilde, we are doing another draft We have a special guest joining us and we will be doing our holiday movie draft, which features some fun other categories that you can select characters, Christmas songs, things like that. So it's going to be a time. This is another time where I basically only watch Christmas movies except for big awards films that come out. Mm -hmm. So I'm very excited to talk about some of my favorites here. I know I'm going to get really upset because there are going to be three of us (laughs) doing this draft and I am not ready, but we'll be mentioning a ton of 
movies and then also some of the newer ones that have come out this year. I'm very excited. Thank you all for listening and for sending in your questions. Stay safe and wear your masks. Thanks again, everyone. We'll see you next time. Stay safe. And happy Thanksgiving.